Is it on? You guys can hear it. I just can't. It must be echoing real good. That's what happens when you work around equipment most of your life. You start losing your hearing. Unless you got daughters that are screaming. I, that's because they were screaming this afternoon. Uh, real quick, just a couple announcements. Uh, we're, we're doing good on the uh, sprinkler system. It's coming along. So we got some drum drips, and then we got some other things, and we've, we're getting all that stuff figured out, uh, figured out. Excited about that. Don't forget, this Sunday at 4.30 is our missions banquet. So, it, and just tell everybody about it. Get as many people in there. And if you get a chance, go look. Yes, Shauna. Okay, so anybody that has signed up to make some food for different countries, make sure it's here by 3.30 on Sunday afternoon. And we have uh, the, our guest speaker that morning, Terrence Harris. He's one of our missionaries that we support. Uh, he will not only be speaking in the morning, but he's going to share a little bit in the afternoon. And then so is Rebecca Howell. You know, she's with Backyard Orphans. We just picked them up as missionaries. They're going to share. And then the Hales have sent a video to Stacy, and we're going to show a video from them. And they're in Great Britain. And I don't know if you remember him. He had the tablet, and he was walking up here. And uh, they're missionaries that we support as well. So just remember all that uh, this Sunday. And, you know, invite some people. And we're going to, and then if you had a chance to get the brochure, there's some extra ones out on the uh, out on the foyer table out there. I should have brought them in to pass them out. But it's information on uh, setting up for pledges. And what I mean by pledges is you're pledging to God, not to anybody else. God, this is what I'm going to give towards missions this year or to the mission department or how much I'm going to give each month. And we'll hand those out on Sunday morning. So, all right, would you please stand? Let's go to the Lord and worship. Father, we honor you. We praise you. We glorify you. There is no other God but you in all the earth. And Lord, as I think about that, we serve a mighty, awesome God, full of mercy and full of grace, that you've bestowed that on each one of us tonight. And Lord, we don't deserve heaven, we don't deserve any, but you freely have given us the gift of salvation. And we want to say thank you. Thank you for the blessings that you've given us tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen.
to the heavens Your faithfulness stretches to the skies Your righteousness is like the mighty mountain Justice flows like the ocean's tide, and I will lift my voice to worship you, my King, and I will find my strength in the shadows of your Reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your Justice flows like the ocean tide. 
Justice flows like the ocean's tide. Father, we thank you for your righteousness, your justice, and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We don't always understand it. We don't always get it. But, Lord, you demonstrated your love on the cross. You love us. You love every single one of us. You said you don't want to see anyone perish, but all to come ever to everlasting life. We thank you for your love for us. Help us to understand it more. Open up our hearts to it. Help us to love you back, Lord, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Hallelujah. We thank you for that. We honor you. We praise you. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Before we get started tonight, I want to pray for uh, Rick and Sherry. Um, uh, there, there's a fire close to their property, so that's why they're not here tonight. They sh it's right next door, um, and there's a grass fire, and it's in the trees, and they showed me pictures of it. So I want to take a moment uh, to pray for Rick and Sherry that uh, God would protect their property and, and help put that fire, even for their neighbors, you know. So, um, so let's pray for them real quick before we get in the Word. Father, we pray for Rick and Sherry tonight. We pray for their property. We pray for their neighbors. Uh, Lord, that you would cause that fire to be put out. Lord, we need some rain. We need some moisture uh, to deal with this dry weather and the dry uh, uh, vegetation. So, Father, I just pray that you would help that the fire department and uh, and the neighbors and all of them. I pray that you would just, just like you calm the seas, that you'd cause that fire to cease and to stop. And give them protection, give them strength, give them encouragement tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Well, good evening. How's everybody doing tonight? Boy, what a shock to the system, huh? 90, almost 90 degrees down to the, what, 32 degrees this morning. And it was windy, yes. I Man, that was really windy. I'm, I'm glad my trash can was heavy enough not to move. I kept looking out the window. I think, should I have stuck it out there or left it there? But I knew if I didn't put it out there, I'd forget about it. So, all right, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 11. And, uh, oh, i got to go back here. I don't know what's going on here. There we go. We're in chapter 11, 
Uh, we're in a series, A Man Who Remained Faithful. Now, chapter 11, real quick, it's, it's very lengthy, and it's going to be detailed. So it's going to take maybe a couple weeks to get through this. There's a lot of information in here. Um, and I, how, how many of you guys have ever read through the book of Numbers before? I'm telling you, this chapter's like this. So I'm going to do my best to keep you up and going tonight. But as I went through it, it's very detailed. There's a lot of battles going on. So the, the, the title of the message is just basically the battle of the two kingdoms and the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, and, and we've kind of talked about Antiochus Epiphanes. And now he was the one that set up the abomination that causes desolation. How many of you guys know of Hanukkah? And we're going to read here in a minute and pray. But yeah, Hanukkah, the reason why they celebrate Hanukkah is because of this man. And... Uh, uh, the Maccabees, how many of you guys know what the Maccabees are? They're the ones that fought and, and, uh, and uh, fought against uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. But he's like what we call a type of Antichrist. And so we're going to look a little bit at him tonight. We're not going to get into him that much, but we're gonna, the next week we're going to look at him. And then it, it, it flows from, uh, from, the, from the history of it into the future. So uh, let's read. We're going to read verses 11 through 24 tonight, and then we're going to pray, and then I'll get into some more discussion about it. So Daniel chapter 11, verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. Now then, I tell you the truth, three more kings will appear in Persia, and then a fourth who will be far richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will appear who will rule with the great power and do as he pleases. After he has appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. It will not go out to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. The king of the south will become strong, but one of his commanders will become even stronger than he and will rule his kingdom with great power. After some years, they will become allies. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an alliance, but she will not retain her power, and he and his power will not last. In those days, she will be handed over together with her royal escort and her father. And the one who supported her. One from her family line will arise to take her place. He will attack the forces of the king of the north. And enter his fortress. He will fight against them and be victorious. He will also seize their gods, their material images, and their valuable articles of silver and gold and carry them off to Egypt. For some years he will leave the king of the north alone. Then the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but will retreat his own country. His sons will prepare for war and assemble a great army which will sweep on like an irresistible flood and carry the battle as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south will march out and rage and fight against the king of the north who will raise a large army, but it will be defeated. When the army is carried off, the king of the south will be filled with pride and will slaughter many thousands, yet he will not remain triumph. For the king of the north will muster another army larger than the first, and after several years he will advance with a huge army fully equipped. In those times, many will rise against the king of the south. The violent men among your own people will rebel in fulfillment of the vision, but without success. Then the king of the north will come and build up siege, uh, up siege ramps and will capture a fortified city. The forces of the south will be powerless to resist. Even their best troops will not have the strength to stand. The invader will do as he pleases. No one will be able to stand against him. He will establish himself in the beautiful land and will have the power to destroy it. He will determine to come with the might of his entire kingdom and will make an alliance with the king of the south. And he will give him a daughter in marriage in order to overthrow the kingdom, but his plans will not succeed or help him. Then he will turn his attention to the coastlands and will take many of them, but a commander will put an end to his insolence and will turn his insolence back upon him. After this, he will turn back towards the fortresses of his own country, but will stumble and fall to be seen no more. His successor will send out a tax collector to maintain the royal splendor. In a few years, however, he will be destroyed, yet not in anger or in battle. He will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor or royalty. He will invade the kingdom when, uh, when its people feel secure, and he will seize it through intrigue. Then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him. Both it and a prince of the covenant will be destroyed. After coming into an agreement with him, he will act deceitfully, and with only a few people he will rise to power. When the richest province feels secure, he will invade them and all, and will achieve what neither his fathers nor his forefathers did. He will distribute plunder, loot, and wealth among his followers. He will plot to overthrow fortresses, but only for a time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we dive into this chapter in the first 20, 
four verses. Lord, I pray that there's so much involved here, but Lord, you put it down here on purpose. You put it in your Bible, in your word for a reason. And Lord, if we're to take the whole counsel of, of your word, we're to read it by verse by verse and line by line and believe what it says. God, I pray that you will give us an understanding tonight. And, and Lord, that we'll take on to what you're saying in these verses tonight. Speak through me, Lord, to give the message that you want to say to your people tonight. As your vessel, I can do nothing apart from you. But with the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power, speak through me. And let our hearts be soft, like pliable and soft soil, ready to see, receive the seed of the word so they can be planted, grown up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I know there's a lot in there when you read that. How many of uh, when you were reading that, man, that's a mouthful, isn't it? All these, the king of the north going against the king of the south, and you, you see all this stuff going on, and it, it can be a little confusing. And even when I read this, and I've read this I don't know how many times, I went, man, I forgot all about all this. But there's a, there's a lot to this. There's a crescendo. When I, when I played saxophone, which if you ever saw me clap, I can't keep a rhythm, so I usually get people off. But when I play the saxophone, it's something called a crescendo. You start off slow, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds. And that's basically what's happening here. Now, Daniel's chapter 10 through 12. So Daniel chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12 in this book deal with the same vision, and this chapter continues what chapter 10 described. This chapter is very detailed with power struggles. There's a lot of power struggles going on. Antiochus Epiphanes arises as a type of Antichrist. I've already mentioned that. The Antichrist of the end times is described in this chapter. The, this chapter is divided between history and prophecy. Now let me stop there for a minute. When Daniel wrote this, it wasn't history yet. It was still in the future. But to us, it's history. But it also deals with prophecy for future events and what we call eschological events. Now, eschological, from the Oxford definition, is relating to death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul of humankind. We call that the end what? End times. So even if you're like, man, what's all this stuff have to do with? It's a crescendo building up to what's going to happen in the end times. Another interesting thing about this book, and before I get into this, is this book predates history. So when historians look back, you know what they try to say? Well, somebody must have wrote it afterwards because it's so precise. Everything that is prophesied in here is precise to the T. And that's why historians can't accept it. Because they can't accept what the Bible says. And so therefore they can't accept prophecy. But when you read it, they're shocked because it describes exactly what happened in history. And so you'll see that. Now the kings of the south that are mentioned are from Egypt. There's Ptolemy the first of Sorter, and then there's Ptolemy the second of Philadelphus, Ptolemy the third of Eurgetus, Ptolemy the fourth of Philopater, Ptolemy the fifth of Epiphanes, and Ptolemy the sixth of Philometer. So these are the these are the kings that ruled. So these are all the different kings and all the battles that go on. Now the kings of the north. I'm gonna I'm gonna say their names: uh, Seleucus first of Nicator, Antiochus the first of Sorter. Uh, Antiochus the second of Theos, uh, Seleucus the second of Callinicus, uh, Seleucus the third of Soter, uh, Antiochus the third the Great, Seleucus the fourth of Philopater, and then Antiochus the fourth of Epiphanes, which is Antiochus Epiphanes. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, those are all Greek names. How many of you are going to say it with me? Uh, see, I got you going. I go into all this because there's a lot of information in here. We're going to go through this. Uh, we go to the first thing in this, in this uh, chapter, and there's support. Now, understand this. This is a supernatural battle. And I want to bring that up to you. The battles that we see today, even the thing that's going on in Ukraine and Russia today in our time, do you know that's a supernatural battle? When we lived in Longview, there was a gentleman there that he, he, uh, he was from, Ukraine originally and he said those battles on that same border have been going on for centuries and there's a gentleman that was on CBN I like watching CBN once in a while the 700 club 
And this gentleman was talking about how he grew up in Ukraine, but he moved to China. But when he moved back to Ukraine, those battles had been going on. And when he did a study on it, he realized it was a supernatural religious battle that had been going on for centuries, all the way back like 2,000 years ago. So you look at this, there's always these spiritual battles. Remember in chapter 10 that we, with the, we read last week where, where uh, Daniel is uh, waiting 21 days for what? The answer from God, and it really was 24 days. Because uh, Jesus that we saw was a precarnate Christ in the chapter 10 was, had Michael help him to fight against the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. So guys, just a reminder that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities. And, and, and powers and authorities. Uh, the scripture says Satan is the prince of the power of the air. So when you're battling uh, physical battles, it could be sickness, it could be disease, it could be other people that you're dealing with, it could be finances, it could be the IRS. <laughs> I just mentioned that for one. It could, you know, it could be anything. It could be taxes, right? It could be, how about groceries? How many of you guys went to the grocery store lately? You know, all this stuff, and you might even think, how does groceries? Well, when you're struggling and, and all of a sudden things get raised up, you know, there, a lot of things are spiritual battles. Now, that doesn't mean that there's a demon behind every bush, but again, there is a spiritual battle going on that we don't see with our physical eyes. So verse 1 of chapter 11 really belongs at the end of chapter 10, and most scholars will agree with that uh, in that verse, and there's a reason for that, and I'll get into that. Now, the Persian kings were more sympathetic and understanding than their predecessors, the Babylonians. So when you get into this and you look at this, the Persians, why is that important? Because when you look at this, there's a battle going on between the north kings and the south kings, but who's in between? Israel. Israel is. What's going on today? What's the focal point of the world today? Israel. I want to read something here that Worsby says in his commentary about this. The rulers of Persia had no idea that Satan was seeking to control their minds and lead them into making decisions that would hurt the people of God. However, Michael and Gabriel won that battle and Darius and Cyrus showed compassion for the Jewish exiles. Can I tell you something? If you pray for our nation, God can change it. He can change that. When we did a prayer, and they, remember the return that happened on the Washington Mall a few years ago? And that we begin to pray about Roe versus Wade. Do you know the day that that prayer happened is when they passed and, and they, they, they overturned Roe versus Wade? When all those Christians prayed? So when we pray, God can do miracles and amazing things. So you, again, I, I've already preached on it before, but I'm going to preach again. Your prayers are powerful. And we need to pray. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for revival. We need to pray for our neighbors. So it's important to pray for things. Don't stop praying. I think one of our most powerful weapons is what? Prayer. How many of you guys pray on a regular basis? Do you know you are only as strong as, as much as you pray? Because where does your strength come from? From the Lord. Now the person speaking to Daniel supports Darius and Mead. Look at verse 1. And the first year of Darius the Mede, I took stand to support and protect him. Now, who is he speaking of there? Again, if you just read that in verse 1, you're going, oh, is, is it Daniel that's supporting him? Who, who's this person that's supporting Darius the Mede? Well, again, remember in chapter 10, Daniel sees a vision of who? Christ. Remember, we saw that last week. We talked about that. It's the same picture that's found in Revelation chapter 1. So the person that's speaking here is that precarnate Christ. And he's saying that he supports Darius. Jesus stood to support and protect Darius. That's what this whole battle was about. And it had to do with God protecting his people. Can I tell you tonight, God protects us? Hold your spot. This is not my notes, but I feel like I need to go to Go with me to Romans chapter 8 real quick. Romans chapter 8. It's not my notes, but I want you to write this down. Romans chapter 8. Look with me in verse 28. We're going to start in verse 28. Paul's speaking about us being super conquerors. Okay? He doesn't say more than conquerors. When you look in the original Greek, that means super conquerors. Above and beyond. How many of you guys feel like a super conqueror in Christ tonight? You may not feel it, but you are according to God's word. 
And we know, verse 20, in all things that God works for the good of those who what? Love him. Do you love him tonight? He's going to work all things out for your good. Who have been called according to his purpose. Now the word called there is the same word in the original Greek that means salvation. When you got saved, you were called. So he works all things out for the good of those who love him and who have been saved. You could put the word salvation there. According to his purpose. God has a purpose for each and every one of us. Then look at this, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Now let me stop there. That doesn't mean he predestines everybody to get saved. He wants everybody to get saved, but they still have to make the choice. Right? He, what he means is God already knows who's going to choose him and who's not, but it's still up to that individual. We call that free will. Your free will. God never takes our free will away from us. So for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the likeness of his son. How many of you guys want to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus? Can I tell you, in your inner man, you already are? Pastor, what? Yeah, you've got imputed righteousness. Your inner man is that. It's the flesh that we're trying to renew, right? Renew your mind and the mind, emotion, and will. And, and again, when the rapture happens or you take your last breath, you'll, you'll, you'll know as you are fully known. You'll look down and go, wow, that's pretty cool. Look at the outfit I got on. I'm not old anymore. I don't have wrinkles. Wow, I got great brand new knees, right? I can't wait for that day. He can give them to me now, Lord. I'll take them now. God can heal you. So we're to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Look at verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Justified means as if you have never sinned. So the minute you ask Jesus in your heart, he looks at you as if though you have never what? Sinned. And then it says he also glorified. Whoa, wait a minute here. So the minute you and I got saved, he glorified us. We're always praying, God, bring your glory down. It's already in you. Who's inside of you? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, right? Now look at this. So if all those things describe us, look at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? So, so the author, Paul, is saying, okay, all this stuff describes you and I. What should we say in response to this? What's our response? Jesus did all this stuff for us. He, he's glorified us. He's conforming us to the likeness of his son. He, he's not only done that, he's called us. He's justified us. And, and so all those, what's our response to this? Look what he says here. If God is for us, who can be what? Against us. Oh, wait a minute here. Are you that important to God? Yes. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously uh, give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Let me stop there. When he says, puts that question mark, he's not pointing to Jesus and condemning us. What he's saying is not even Jesus is condemning us once we've come into, the, uh, come into the kingdom. Because he says, no condemnation for those that are in what? Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So not only has he done all this other stuff for us and protecting us, but he's praying for you and I. I want you to think about that for a minute. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father going, I'm praying for every single one of you. Now he's God, he can keep up with all the numbers. I can't even, I forget things all the time. I pray that God helps my memory. John said it's because I'm a sanguine and I often forget, right, John? I'm one of those, have you ever been around a golden retriever? That, that would probably be me, only I don't have long hair. So going on, look at verse 35, and then we're going to get back to Daniel. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep as to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. The, the word is super conquerors. Through him who loved us. In fact, it says here more than conquerors. The entire phrase we are more than conquerors is one Greek word, and I'm not going to say it. 
in the entire New Testament, this compound word only occurs here. And it means over and above. Thus, Paul is literally saying that instead of believers being victims in a fallen world in Christ, we are over and above victors. Instead of barely getting by in life's difficult experiences, in, in and through Christ, we are overwhelmingly conquered. Jesus gained a decisive victory for us at the cross. Because of his victory and the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we are empowered to be more than conquerors in our struggles of life. And that's Donald C. Stamps in his Full Life Study Bible. Isn't that great? So we're going back to Daniel. Go back with me to Daniel. There's this struggle between the North and South Kingdom. And in between that is Israel. And God, is Jesus, fought the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece to support Darius to change his mind towards the Jews and Cyrus so that they would send them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to put protection around them. Jesus, in the Old Testament, pre-carnate Christ, is interceding on behalf of the Jews. Isn't that great? And if he did that for them and we're under the new covenant, how much more for us? So, now let's look at the two kingdoms. We're going to look at the one. Now, I've got a lot of things I'm going to read here. So I hope I don't lose you. I hope it's not one of those ones where like, you know, it's like monotone. <laughs> you know, you go to a lecture because there's a lot of stuff here. I don't mean that in a bad way, but some, some of the stuff I was reading today, I was like, I hope I don't nod. I'm sorry. It's like, have you ever read through the numbers? Have you ever read through the book of numbers? That's what I'm talking about. Okay, here we go. The battles between the king of the south and the king of the north were between the nations of Syria and Egypt with Israel caught in the middle. Even today, Israel is the focus of the whole world. Why are they the focus? Because Satan hates the Jews. He hates God's people. He hates us. Because we represent who? God. And God made a covenant with Abraham. Remember I did that series on, or that, that, that sermon on how God, Israel is the apple of God's eye? Yeah, listen, he has not forgotten his covenant with Israel. And he has not forgotten his covenant with us. Therefore, if God loves the Jewish people, he loves his children that are born again. And Satan hates us. Remember I told you I'd show you a picture of Satan on, in the marble on the dome of the rock? There it is. That's marble. That is on the dome of the rock. See the teeth and the, and the, and the, the horns and... He says he's the Lord of the flies. He looks like a fly, doesn't he? And he's a seraph. That is on the dome of the rock. That's a real picture I took off. The dome of the rock that sits on the, the temple mount. Uh, it, it's, well, I think it's on the east side. And the east side is where the, where the Messiah comes in. I think it's on the east or the south, so don't quote me on that. I was trying to look that up today. Here's a picture of the guy standing there with that same picture. Now, look, you don't just go do that to, to, to marble. How many of you guys would agree with me that that looks like a picture? And that's there today. It does. It is. Well, he was, a, he, he was called a seraphim. So he was a seraphim. What's on the Ark of the Covenant? Two angels what? Facing each other. Now look at this. I want to show you another thing. Where is the Dome of the Rock situated? It's exactly on Mount Moriah where the Ark of the Covenant sat. Satan's always trying to take the place of God. That's why there's such a battle in Israel today. That's why all these battles, even when we go through all these nations and all these kings in, in the book of Daniel, why does Jesus point all this out? Because it's a spiritual battle and it's still going on. Again, you turn on the news, what's it about? Gaza, right, and the war, and let's, let's make a two-state solution, and we talked about that. Listen, any nation that tries to make a two-state solution, Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God says that anybody tries to, to move Jerusalem and its foundations, they will be destroyed by the Lord. And what was our leader doing this last week, trying to push a two-state solution? That's horrible. I was praying this morning, Lord, change his mind. <laughs> oh, sorry, I got excited. So, Lord, change his mind. I hope we don't need a new one after this. 
Now, this is the dome, underneath the Dome of the Rock. This is Mount Moriah. This is, uh, you can, uh, and let me see if I can get an arrow. See right here? Right there is where the Ark of the Covenant sat. You see the cutout? It's a square. That was in the, that was in the, the Temple of Solomon. Do you guys see the square? You know that golden dome of the rock? Right there is where the Ark of the Covenant sat. Can you guys see that? I'll show you another picture. Same picture? Right there. That's where the, it's the perfect shape of, of the Ark of the Covenant. Most scholars believe that's where it sat. That's where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. And where God provided the lamb in the thicket. And see, Jesus wasn't crucified here. He was crucified outside the city gates, remember? And what's interesting here is it lines exactly up. If you took a line, it lines up exactly where Jesus would have been crucified. Now, let's go back to Daniel here, chapter 11. There were four kings who ruled in Persia after King Cyrus who were, are involved in this back and forth struggle in chapter 11. Let's look in here. Verse, let's start in verse 2 here. We may not even get through a few verses here tonight. <laughs> now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will appear in Persia, and then a fourth who will be far richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will appear who will rule with the great power and do as he pleases. After he appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out to, to the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power nor will it have the power he exercised because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. So the, those kings that were before this were, and I'm not going to try to say their names, they're a little difficult to say. I think it's Cambyses, uh, uh, Smyrtus, Darius, Histaspis, and Xerxes. And then Xerxes eventually invaded Greece in 480 B.C. So those are the four kings. All historians today will say, this happened. And that's why they, when they read the Bible, they see the accuracy, and then they, kind of, they, they try to say, well, it had to have been written afterwards because it's so accurate. Guys, how accurate is God's word? He prophesied it. It happened. So when you read the Bible, what we're reading now, we may just be reading about kings and all the, It's power. I've gone through the book of Numbers before, and I've read the names. Have you ever studied just names in the Bible? In the Old Testament, each of those names have a meaning. And you do a study on that, it'll blow your mind that God even puts the details into the names. So how important is God's word? And we're all still trying to figure this thing out, aren't we? So when Christ speaks to Daniel, he tells you, I tell the truth. Look what he says here. Verse 2, now then I tell you the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes unto the Father except through him. He is truth. He is life. He's the only way. Look what Numbers 23, 19 says. God is not human that he should what? Lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Now, I like the other translation. God is not man that he should lie. How about this one, 1 Samuel 15, 29. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Hebrews 6, 18. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to do what? To lie. If God lied, we're all in trouble. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. So God does not lie. So Jesus is speaking to Daniel, says, I tell you the truth. And again, historians point to what the Bible says, that it is truth. Let me share one thing, and I share this a lot, but if, it, if this is true, and he speaks of the Antichrist, which we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks, and that hasn't happened yet, but this has happened, we know that if that happened, then the Antichrist is going to come, the tribulation's going to happen. The rapture's going to happen. And that everything in the Bible is what? True. 
If God created the earth in six days, he created it in six days. In fact, if you look at why am I going there? Because if you can't believe that part of the Bible, you can't believe the rest of it. A day in there is a 24-hour period if you look in the original Hebrew. It's not millions of years. And I get so annoyed when I hear believers say, well, it was millions of years that God created the earth. No, when Mount St. Helens blew, it laid down almost a thousand different layers of sediment within seconds of the explosion. When the flood happened, they're finding that the soil that makes up most of the, the west from Arizona all the way up to Wyoming and stuff is, is the same soil that comes from the Appalachians. Same soil composition. Now, how could that happen? A flood. You know, how many of you guys know of Monument Valley? Moab, Utah, the big arches. They have proven that those are created from sand. When water rushes in, it creates these arches. That was created from water, from the flood. I have a friend of mine that ran, it's called the Creation Center in Mount St. Helens, and his name's Paul Taylor. He's, he's written a lot of, he's been on radio stations and stuff, but he created the Creation Center. And he has a petrified teddy bear. Teddy bear, stuffed teddy bear. And there's a place, and I think it's over in Great Britain or England. I can't remember, so don't quote me on it. There's a place where you can put it in this cave where minerals drip on it, and it petrifies the teddy bear. Millions of years. Don't believe that. What God's word says is true. Here are clear-cut statements of prophecy which have been literally fulfilled. The prophecy of this chapter is so detailed and so accurate that the liberal critic will not accept the fact that it was written before it happened. James Vernon McGee. Now there's three kings. It says three kings will appear in Persia and then a fourth who will be richer. Now these are the four kings mentioned earlier that we, we looked at who followed Cyrus, King Cyrus. Now, then it talks about a mighty king who will rise. Look at verse 3 real quick. Then a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. This king was Alexander the Great. Again, remember in the chapters before when, when Nebuchadnezzar saw the statue, all this is being fulfilled, what, what the angel had said to Daniel concerning the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And so you're just seeing a, a replay of this. Alexander the Great came from Greece and he conquered his enemies quickly. In fact, I, I got this from the History Channel. They get the credit for this. You know, you don't want plagiarism. It belongs to them. But look what it says. In 15 years of conquest, Alexander never lost a battle. Alexander the Great... Great's military tactics and strategies are still studied in military academies today. From his first victory at age 18, Alexander gained a reputation of leading his men to battle with impressive speed, allowing smaller forces to reach and break the enemy lines before his foes were ready. After securing his kingdom in Greece in 334 BC, Alexander crossed into Asia, present-day Turkey, where he won a series of battles with the Persians under Darius III. The centerpiece of Alexander's fighting force was a 15,000-strong Macedonian uh, phalanx whose units held off the sword-wielding Persians with 20-foot-long spikes called Sarasas. And that's from the History Channel. I read some things today that our military academy still studies it. Generals still say he was, and I believe that God gave him those abilities. God can give abilities and 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 gifts to people, but they can use it for God or for the enemy. After Alexander the Great's death, four generals, that's the four winds, look, look at verse 4 real quick, would take control of his kingdom. After he had appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out towards the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Again, remember we talked about this in a few chapters before, that there were four generals that took Alexander the Great's kingdom from him. And it was dispersed between those four generals. And these are the four generals. Ptolemy, first of Soter, Seleucus, uh, first of Nicator, and Cassander, and Lysimachus. 
I can say it in my brain. Anybody ever do that? You can say it in your brain, but when you try to say it with your lips, it doesn't work. Um, anyways, those are the four generals that took over Alexander the Great's kingdom. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And it did happen. Now, let's look at this. And we got about 10 more minutes. Let's look at this. The, the kings that followed. Am I, anybody falling asleep yet? Okay, I told you it was deep, didn't I? All right. So the kings that followed, the king of the south and the commander. Look at verse 5. The king of the south will become strong, but one of his commanders will become even stronger than he and will rule his kingdom with great power. The king of the south following Alexander was Ptolemy I of Soter of Egypt, one of the generals that divided Alexander's kingdom. There should be a D at the end of divided. He was one of the, king, he was one of the kings that divided Alexander's kingdom. And he became a strong king. The commander who became stronger than Ptolemy the first disorder was another general named Seleucus, uh, first of Nicator. So these are the same generals that we saw. So again, there's that inner battle going on. That's what's funny. When anytime something a, a leader leaves, there's a vacuum for people to come in and try to take it. That's even within churches, denominations. Leaders uh, pass away. There's a vacuum, and everybody wants to be the top dog, right? There's this fight. I want to be in charge. I want to take it over. Ambition. That's what you're seeing here. Jealousy, envy. How many times has that happened within the church, right? The fight for control, all that stuff. And then these two kingdoms that are Ptolemy and Seleucus would later become allies. It's kind of like two kids. So let me tell you something about girls and boys. There's a difference. When they fight when they're kids. Girls can, they can be nasty sometimes. I got three daughters. Boys, they get in a fight the next day they're best friends. I got in the fight with the toughest kid in the seventh grade, beat him up, and then we came, became best friends and played baseball together. He didn't know what hit him. I was called, you know, dynamite comes in a small pack. That, anyways, Lord, Lord forgive me for that. Now let's go on. Now this alliance, look at verse 6 here. Let's read verse 6, then I'll explain a little bit. After some years they will become allies. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an alliance, but she will not retain her power, and he and his power will not last. In those days she will be handed over together with the royal escort and her father and the one who supported her. So basically the alliance occurred when Ptolemy II of Philadelphia of Egypt's daughter Bernice was given in marriage to Antiochus II of Theos, who was the king of the north. So again, here's this thing. It's playing out. You know, it's I, 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 first these two guys made an alliance, but later on their descendants didn't. You can lose a whole generation, right? Now the king of the north divorced his wife Laodice to marry Bernice. Again, that's wrong, but it was for alliance. It doesn't matter. That's wrong. That's how wicked they were. Bernice would lose her power along with her husband Antiochus II of Theos. So they lost their power. And I got to wonder too, even though they're not godly, if God brings judgment on them because of their sin. Right? Now look at this. Bernice's brother, Ptolemy III of, and I'm not going to say his last name, if they have last names, that's just part of his name, of Egypt, would defeat the king of the north, Seleucus II of Callinicus. And so here you go, you got, again, that's verse 7. Look at verse 7 with me. One from her family line will arise to take her place. He will attack the forces of the king of the north and enter his fortress. He will fight against them and be victorious. And you're probably thinking, Pastor, why are you going through all this stuff? Because it's to teach us that God is in control of everything. God would not have put all this stuff in the Bible if we didn't need to learn it and know it. How many of you guys know this? If you don't learn from your history, you'll repeat it. What's happening now? I've shared this before, and I don't care. I'm going to share it again. How many of you guys have heard of the World Economic Forum with Klaus Schwab? He's calling it the fourth industrial revolution, and he says that humans are hackable. I believe that. I think he's demon-possessed. And you know what? Yuval Harari, who's, who says that uh, Jesus is fake news. Boy, he's got something coming when he dies. Uh, you, uh, Yuval Noah Harari. 
He's actually Israeli. He's a homosexual, open homosexual, and he has him and his partner have kids. And yet he puts Christians down. He says that you and I are hackable, that, that we're not worth anything. That he, he literally says that we're a waste to the air. And so God's going to bring judgment on them for that stuff. And, and so you see the Fourth Reich, they call it the Fourth Industrial Revolution. They've just changed the name, and really it's the Fourth Reich. So things tend to repeat themselves, and we haven't learned from history. And that's what's happening here. Things are repeating themselves and repeating themselves. It just goes to show you how sinful man really is. We think we're in control, but who's really behind all of that? Well, and, and I want to bring that up. Satan, she's talking about how all the things that go over and over, it's not just us as sinners, but it's also Satan. Again, that's the spiritual battle. Now, and you've heard this, right? There's three things that Satan attacks us with with the same three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. All three areas Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. You go look in there, that's all this is. The lust of the flesh, I want, I want, I want, I'm going to get it. I don't care what any, who, who gets hurt and what happens. Lust of the eyes, that's mine, right? Eve saw the fruit. Oh, that fruit looks great. It wasn't an apple, by the way. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. Everybody says it was an apple. <laughs> Man, it was, we don't know what kind. It was probably one of the prettiest fruits that was in the garden. And she looked at it and saw it. And then it says the de, that she desired it, right? You see that's the lust of the eyes. Then you desire the lust of the flesh. And then you what? You partake of it. And then your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. That's the pride of life. And they, God attacks us all the same ways. And that's exactly what's going on here. So Ptolemy III, Eugetes, uh, 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 I, I probably said that wrong, so sorry. Took back the images that King Cambyses took when he conquered Egypt. And he did this by entering the fortress of, of the Syrian Antioch. Look at me real quick. Look what it says here, verse 7. So one from her family line will arise and take her place. He will attack the forces of the king of the north and enter his fortress. He will fight against them and be victor victorious. Verse 8. He will also seize their gods, their metal images, and their valuable articles of silver and gold and carry them off to Egypt. For some years he will leave the king of the north alone. Now I, I, I'm putting this only God can understand and deal with so many details. Nothing ever catches God by surprise. He knows everything that's going to happen to us. He knows the beginning from the end. Who created time? God did. God's outside of time. So he sees the beginning from the end. Look at Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, or my thoughts are not your thoughts, right? Says Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. Did you think about that? How many of you guys have imagined of great things? I wonder how many stars there are. We try to figure that out. I think there's more stars than they think that, they, that there are. I think the universe is bigger than what they think it is. And yet the scripture says that God holds the universe in his hand. And then they say the universe is expanding, so how big is God? And if you've ever flown an airplane, how small are we? We're God's ant farm. I'm just saying. And then look at this, Isaiah 58 through 9. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. If you think you know what's best for your life, you better think again. Ask the Lord. How about this one, Psalm 147.5. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no what? No limits. We need the understanding. We need to figure things out. Not him. He has it all figured out. I mean, think about this. God knows every person's thoughts. He knows all their prayers. He knows all their issues. He, he, has, he has to deal with the demon. I mean, all that stuff. And the stars he's creating. I'm, I mean, how many of you guys, how, how many of you guys have ever tried to count sand? God knows all the grains of sand on the earth. 
Now go figure that. That's how big your God is. And he's on your side. It says he would leave the king of the north alone for some years. Now Satan does that to us sometimes, doesn't he? Look at Luke 4, 13. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. And look at the end of it. After he said, get, get thee behind me, Satan, right? Be far from me. Then it says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until what? An opportune time. Now, I didn't put the scripture in here, but it says he's like a lion prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for us to slip up or mess up or do something to devour us or to walk away or to get alone. That's what he wants to do. And so you'll see, again, you'll see these spiritual battles going on here. And that's exactly what he does. Oh, I'll just, we'll fight for a while, and then I'll leave them alone for a while. And it's right when you think that you're standing, lest you what? Fall. Again, nothing goes unnoticed by God. He raises up and dethrones kings. We already read verse 7. But notice he, he lifted up these kings and he dethrones them. Daniel 2, 21, he controls the course of the world events. Guys, how many guys would think that everything's going bad in the world today? There's a word I want to say, words I want to say about it, but I'm not going to say, you know, H-E-double uh, uh, -E hockey sticks in a handbasket kind of deal. You know what I'm talking about? In a handbasket. You know what I'm saying. That's what it seems like the whole world's going. But look what it says. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. These guys that think they're so smart, who gave it to them? God did. Look at Psalm 2, 1, 1 through 6. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? Listen, all this stuff that they're planning right now, it's just futile. The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. That's at the end of the time, at the end of the tribulation period. They're going to come against Christ. And they're already starting to do it. And then look what he says, let us break their chains. They cry and free ourselves from the slavery to God, is what they're saying. Let us break ourselves away from God. We don't need God. And then look what it says about God. But the one who rules in heaven, what? Laughs. Now, when you work up that word laugh, it's kind of one of, have you ever like, <laughs> kind of like a sarcastic laugh? In, in the original language, that's what it means. He just gets up there and he goes, yeah, yeah, you think you're in control. In control. You're not, right? Anybody do that to your kids? Yeah, right. That's like, I'm going to see you do that, right? The Lord scoffs at them. He mocks at them. Then in anger, he rebukes them and terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne of Jerusalem on my holy mountain. That's Jesus. So I'm going to end with that tonight. We can go into some more stuff, but I want to end with that. God is in control. It's easy to start. Can I? I'm going to say something. I, I try not to watch the news anymore. The only thing I like to watch is the weather. And sometimes they don't always get that right, right? Again, I've mentioned this before on a Wednesday and a Sunday morning, but they, that's why they call it weather predictions. But that's about all I like to watch because half the time it's all bad stuff. And then if you focus on that, you start going, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen, right? But if we remember what the Bible says, that the Lord laughs, and he's what? He's in control. He controls the course of the world events. He's the boss. He sits on his throne. Nothing takes him by surprise. Even if you have trouble in your life, give it to him. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him for he what? Cares for you. That doesn't mean he's going to remove you from the situation. That doesn't mean he's going to take it from you. But he'll give you the strength to get through it. Sometimes God doesn't always pluck us out. Amen. And the wisdom, well, you've got to pray for it and believe it. But God doesn't always pluck us out of things. I get annoyed by these preachers that say, well, if you confess it enough, you say it enough, you're okay. We can't demand anything from God. He's sovereign. You can lay it at his feet, but he's the boss. All right, well, let's close. Father God, we just thank you for tonight. Lord, I know this is deep stuff and there's a lot here. 
But there's a lot for us to learn from this, including myself, Lord. We all need to learn from this. That you're for us, you're not against us. That you can take our anxiety. You said you have not given us a spirit of fear. Lord, anxiety is fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. God, you haven't given us anything that we cannot stand up under or go through because you're with us to the very end of the age. You said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. You would never abandon us. Sometimes, Lord, you do pluck us out of situations, but other times you make us go through it. I pray for anybody here tonight that's going through some difficult times, hardships or struggles or trouble. Lord, give them the strength that they need. Lord, if it's your will to pluck them out, then pluck them out. But if you're working on them, give them the strength to get through it. Help them to remember they're not in it alone. And I pray this right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning. Don't forget about Sunday afternoon, 2, 4.30, missions banquet. Exciting. If you need prayer, I'm here to pray with you. Okay?